James. Hello. How are you this week? I'm very well, thank you. How are you going? I'm good. It's busy as usual, um, but busy is good, I think. Busy is good. I think uh, this side of the Easter weekend, we're all coming down from a, a chocolate high, so we're uh, espousing that uh, energy in, into good places. So <laughs> without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. So welcome, everyone, to Cloud Streaks, a podcast where Duncan and I, um, who have been friends for over 30 years, like to pick an article that either one of us had read and found to be insightful or at least enjoyable. And we like to pick it apart and go through it and just talk about what uh, interesting ideas or concepts come to mind when we do. So this week's episode, we're talking about uh, an article that I have titled The Pale Blue Dot. Uh, so this article was written by a fellow called Zach Rana, who is a writer who likes to play at the intersection of science, art and philosophy, much like uh, Duncan and myself. So you can actually find more of his work at designlock.com. Uh, we'll also put all of the links that we cover in this episode in the show notes, so you can also find them there. Uh, so this piece in particular starts with the story behind a photo called the pale blue dot. So it opens with, it opens with when the Voyager 1 probe was 3.7 billion miles from Earth, and a man named Carl Sagan made a request. Now, if you don't know who Carl Sagan is, Think of him as the Neil deGrasse Tyson of the 70s. If you don't know who Neil is, then think of them both as rock star astronomers, uh, people who have popularized astrophysics and science in general for their respective generations. So Carl Sagan made a request. He asked uh, NASA to turn the camera around and take a picture of Earth. So what happened next was uh, Carl sent out his own reflections on this momentous occasion. And I'm going to just read to you an abridged version of his quote. You can find the full text in the original article, um, but you can. Um, but this I wanted to read to you here. Look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you've ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor, and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every saint and sinner in the history of our lives, there on a moat dust suspended in sunbeams. So I'll just pause here and let the enormity of those words sink in. <coughs> so anyone like listening, feel free to pause and lean back in your chair and come back in, I don't know, a year or so, uh, once you have reflected on that. But with this observation, uh, the writer espoused his own ideas on a number of uh, uh, thought pieces of perspective or the power of connectivity and what we need to know for life itself. Mm. Very quite deep. So with that, it immediately makes the mind start to ponder. Uh, so Duncan, what does this first bring to mind for you? One thing I should say is um, the image makes the Earth is a tiny little speck. So you see all this stuff. So it's just the Earth is this tiny little irrelevant thing, basically. <laughs> um, and so the first sort of question that came to my mind is like, does life really matter? Um, and is life important? Um, 
And so this honestly is something that I hadn't thought about at all for kind of the first 25 years of my life. And the first real time I started to think about it was when I was working and I was thinking about taking a job that wasn't based on money. <laughs> so what I mean is like, I was like, okay, well, I could go to this job, but if I stayed here, I could probably earn more money. And I was starting to question things. Up until that point, I just kind of trodden down the path. You go to school, then you try to get good grades, and then you try to get a good uni degree, and then you try to get a high-paying job. And I was kind of in a place where I could have, you know, if, if I was still standing, be earning hopefully a lot of money right now. But I basically was choosing to go down a different path. And I kind of thought that the purpose of a job was to earn money and that you didn't want to work if you didn't need to. So, for instance, my favorite time growing up was summer holidays. And if I could do summer holidays my entire life, then that would be great. And so if I could save enough money to never need to work, that would be the ideal outcome. And the very first time I was sort of thinking about this was in work when I was about 25. And I started to believe that money wasn't that important. And there's this saying that like, no money will make you sad but a lot of money won't make you happy. And the studies from America say that that's about $70,000, that crossover point. Obviously, if you live in a more expensive city, it costs more. And if you've got other dependents, it'll be more. But as an individual, $70,000. And that was really, really breakthrough for me. I just kind of always assumed that more money was better. So anyways, I'll stop here. James. So Duncan, if I can just uh, try to understand your answer. Um, when asking... Firstly, is life important? It seems to me uh, you equate it to earning money. No, like basically up until that point, I'd never asked myself that. Mm. And when I started to, the first part of it was like, well, I was sort of optimizing for money in a job. Yeah. And I was like, well, hang on, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe there are more important things to leave. So I, I do think that life does matter. Mm. And I don't think that our job goal was to make as much money as possible and to procreate as much as possible. Yeah. And I'll sort of get into that. So I might stop there, James. Do yes. you have thoughts on that? Yes. So um, I, uh, first of all, one of the key observations that uh, Duncan and I have observed about ourselves is that Duncan uh, looks at things from a very practical lens and how does this apply to an individual? And I look at things through a macro lens or a more systemic view. So when I look at does life matter, I think about life itself or in general. Um, and so, you know, a lot of, I'm pretty sure every single person who had ever spared a moment to reflect has asked themselves, what is the point of life? Not, a, not what is the point of my life? We might get into that later, but what is the point of life itself? Um, and for me, the, you, you, it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what kind of value systems you attach onto life. The sheer fact that the, 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 um, the, the reality is, as far as we know, we're the only sentient or self-aware beings in the entire universe. Uh, and that's got to account for something. So I think, for me, th that, the, that life has emerged out of this universe from uh, you know, meaningless atoms bumping into each other is evidence enough to suggest that life matters. Okay, um, I don't think that's there just because it exists doesn't mean it matters mm -hmm. um so when i was sort of starting to think about this i was like well what are some models if beyond just making money um and so you can look at it initially as like from a utilitarian standpoint um so for instance do you want to optimize well-being and minimize misery um you could look at it from a hedonism standpoint it's just all about fun mm -hmm. um what about meaning versus fun what about laughter versus substance what about learning and self-improvement uh, is it about love? Is love the purpose? 
is it a mixture of all of these things? Mm. Um, and I sort of started evolving from I did not have any view of what, what a good life was. I, you know, I was just following footsteps to starting to do these things. And I've kind of gotten to a point where I now believe that I want to help others as much as possible. Um, but I want to enjoy doing it and I want to be enjoyable to be around. Um, and that's what I try to do through work, through Ed Roller. Um, but then I also need to have downtime, rest time, where I'm just looking after myself. Um, mm. And that ratio is kind of six days a week of helping others, one day a week of hedonism for myself. Yeah. Um, and it used to be that I thought any time for myself was selfish. Um, but I've realized that if I don't take time for myself, then I get unhappy. <laughs> what are your thoughts, James? Um, so, yes, I, 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 think, I think that a good way to look at this is, um, you know, we all want to enjoy life. And so we all need to be able to ask ourselves, what is it that makes a good life or um, a, a life worth living for you? The way I like to look at it is, um, I think all of the things that you mentioned, uh, so just to help anyone listening, utilitarianism is basically where you apply a value-based system on the outcome of anyone, any action. So it's kind of like um, what things will maximize the good in the world? What things will maximize um, the benefit of a particular action? Uh, and hedonism is basically trying to maximize your own happiness. Um, that might not be the, the, the best description, but um, it, it's really a point of my purpose in life is to be happy, and so I want to maximize happiness. That's hedonism. I look at life in stages, and I feel like this really helps anyone break down what it is they should be focusing on any particular point in time. So there's a, there, there are two um, popular models. One of them is the learning, earning, and returning. So at the start of your life, you're learning. You are absorbing as much information as possible. When you're born, you have no awareness. You only have instinct and the propensity to learn. And this really goes throughout much of your, uh, your early years. Let's say around the middle, that's when you're earning. So this is work. This is not, this is not work work. This is you work on building your family. You work on your friends. You work on yourself. You work on developing yourself. This is where you can uh, become uh, more self-aware. This is where you can become uh, the person who, you, you know, you understand yourself, your values, all of your core um, value sets. And then at the later stage is returning. And this is when you turn whatever purpose you have into an enlightened purpose where you become of value to the world, make sure you leave it better where you found it. What do you think of that, Duncan? Um, look, it's, a, it's a nice model, um, but I don't know if it necessarily is a good one. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, you know, this is earning bit. So all you're doing is like, you know, making money in the middle. I, I think that... You know, it's sort of saying that you're returning at the end of the point is where you, you're, you're giving back and the rest of your life before that was that like learning, then working. I think you can have purpose through your entire life and that it can mean different things. Mm. So, uh, you know, one thing they say is your purpose in life is to find a purpose. Yeah. But even if I was able to properly articulate what it is for 33-year-old Duncan, that's probably going to be different to what it is for 40-year-old Duncan. And 20-year-old Duncan had no idea that there was anything like purpose. <laughs> um, so I think it's an interesting model, but I'm not so sure it necessarily, you know, is a good one. I'll sort of ask, get back slightly to the question we were asking at the beginning, which was, does life matter? And, and I think the sort of answer is like, if life can have a purpose, then I think it does. If it can't, then I'm not sure it can. 
it doesn't necessarily need to have the same purpose. But I think that humans can have a purpose. We don't necessarily all have one. And that this means that life does matter. Um, so as an example, there's just, we're all atoms, right? But some atoms are, I don't know, an inert rock. Um, and that that doesn't necessarily matter. Um, or maybe it does, but I think that the humans with an ability to have a purpose matter more than a rock. Um, so I thought I'd just put that out there. What are your thoughts on that, James? So um, it, it, was, it was said at some point, I can't remember where I picked it up, but the only, thing, the only difference between the atoms colliding in um, the vastness of space and atoms colliding in a person's head is agency. So a lot of uh, there are some people out there who believe. And what's agency? Just 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 um, put the definition in for that, people. Fair point, Justin. So agency is basically your own self awareness or your ability to take uh, what would be considered natural momentum and pivot or change it on its head. So, for example, if Duncan were to, uh, you know, steal my car, <laughs> for a bad example. <laughs> The natural reaction may be to uh, get upset and chase Duncan down and uh, you know try and get my car back. But the the brain has this ability to change to decide for itself how it wants to react. Um, so again, I get that's a very poor example. But where I'm getting at here, is so the that, agency has an ability to sort of think, basically. Yes, the ability. Whereas to think a, a rock may not have an ability to think. Yeah. So, so that just that's really short. Um, it was a quite a long explanation there, James. Cool. Well, I, I yeah. like to give I, I like to give um, analogies uh, because analogies are pr approximations, and by approximation, it means you don't understand it, uh, the concept well enough. <laughs> so I'm compensating there. Um, so to go to your point, I think having a purpose does make a good life. Uh, whether or not we can go into it, having a purpose doesn't. Whoa, 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 whoa. And I think that's so. Like your purpose could be misery for others, <laughs> okay. and therefore does not mean a good life. So I think so life can have a purpose. Therefore, life can matter. Was what I was saying. I think okay. you could argue that I, I don't know Hitler's purpose wasn't so great, and therefore didn't necessarily make a great life. I know that's picking an extreme case, but yeah. yeah. So, so we can definitely dwell over the semantics of um, the, uh, the the benefits and the potential catastrophes of purpose itself. It's about what makes life important. Um, and well, is it so, important? So, do you think that life is important? Yeah. Yes. So, I don't think it's purpose that makes life important, uh, because the sun could cough in our direction tomorrow and wipe out all life on Earth, and that would be uh, the end of it. Everything that we've worked uh, towards on this pale blue dot will be for naught. Uh, so, I don't think, and the other um, part of that is that life is not you and me, life is a, uh, a system of organisms. So to me, I think life is important because I think uh, the universe has augmented for this to be possible. I don't know why, but it has. Whether we're a random mistake or something that has actually evolved out of this, um, my belief is that because we've evolved out of it, um, it matters. It matters a great deal. Hans, so you, like, this is where we started, which I didn't agree with. Just yeah. because we exist doesn't mean we are important. Because you could label the same argument in anything. A rock exists, therefore it's important. Oh, I think so that our lives... Rocks, Duncan? No, but I think that our lives 
uh, you know, are able to be more than rocks because mm. we can have agency, as you said before, because we can have purpose. Yes. And so, therefore, it is possible. But you, you didn't say that. But well, you just I said just because we exist, it therefore uh, makes life important. I don't think that necessarily is fair because lots of things exist. Okay, so I guess I kind of um, embedded that in the concept of life. So the difference between a rock and and you know a sentient being is this uh, this level of awareness. And I and we should probably also um, make a clear distinction between life as a single cell organism and life as a self aware human being. Um, so life matters because yes, I I think your point is a little bit more well-constructed than mine in the sense that we can give ourselves purpose. Um, but the other thing to that is uh, every, everything is connected for a reason. The same reason why we want to have, well, it makes sense for someone to want to have a purpose to add value to the rest of, uh, you know, mankind. You know, we want to be beneficial to all others to you know create value for um, for them and for ourselves. So I think life matters, but not because we can give ourselves purpose. I believe life matters um, as a as a result of having purpose. Well, not as a result. Purpose is a result of life mattering. And that's a circular argument to me. So I think you're saying it's actually the same thing. Um, anyways, let's move on slightly. Um, Okay, so if life can matter, right, which I think it can, and I believe it can because, you know, if you talk about, you know, well-being is a thing for people that are able to have agency and misery is a thing. So that means that some lives can be good and some lives can be not good. Um, and so that was sort of, you know, the next question, like, are all is all life equal? So, for instance, is the life of, uh, I don't know, a lamb, a sheep, as valuable or, or, or equal to the life of a human. Um, I'll sort of give you my two cents. Again, it's, it's relative on an ability to... So each life isn't necessarily equal, so we'll jump to this next. But the more purpose you can have, I think the more life can be valued. So a rock can't really ascribe any purpose to itself. A tree might have a purpose, but its purpose is set. It's imbued. It can't choose. It's to make as many trees as possible. Then... As you sort of go up the sort of stages, and they, as far as we know, humans are the most sentient. Um, dolphins meant to be second and elephants third. Don't ask me how they figured that out. But uh, a sheep, you know, can have, you know, decisions. It can feel good. It can feel misery. So his life does have purpose, but it doesn't necessarily able to choose, or kind of, you know, as much as, you know, say humans are. So net-net, the potential for it to matter, I don't think is as much as a human. What are your thoughts on that? So, um is all life equal? There are different ways of coming to uh, a conclusion on that. A flip side on the level of purposeness, purposefulness is uh, the ability to suffer. Uh, so one way that I find helps me uh, look at this kind of question is um, the ability for one to suffer. So when you look at something like an ant or a cockroach or um, most of the insect uh, um, species, their level of suffering is much less than that of a, a human being or even a mammal, so to speak. So to answer your question, no, life is not all equal. Um, the sheer fact that we have such a variety of species and different kinds of animals, I think, is testament to that. Um, what I think is more pertinent is how do we decide or come to an agreement on how one measures value of life? Um, and that can also go to 
you know, the home, the, the homo sapien level as well. Uh, so is all life equal? No. But do we also think that all human life is equal? Okay, so you agree, like, so basically just to recap, you think that, for instance, human life has the potential to have more value than a sheep because, for instance, we have more agency than a sheep? Yes. Okay. Now, the next question was, are all human lives equal? And I think that if you had no purpose, we're sort of arguing that it might be less. But I don't know if that's necessarily right because I think, you know, from a utilitarian standpoint, you want to maximise well-being and minimise misery. Do you actually need to have a purpose to do that? I don't think you necessarily do. I think you can have a very good life without having a sort of stated or known purpose. Um, mm. And so I'm not so sure. I think the actual value of life is the, you know, the you know, one from a utilitarian perspective, the amount of well-being that it was had and the you know, minus the amount of misery, if you want to look at it from an equation perspective. Um, and so, yeah, like, is that what it is? And, and are all lives equal? I mean, taking, you know, the two extents, like, you know, Gandhi helped liberate, I don't know, a billion people and, and Hitler, you know, exterminated millions of people and you know some people say world war ii wouldn't have happened if, if he didn't exist and so the amount of misery one created was you know it's probably or possibly the most of any one human in you know uh, history and the other one made good outcomes i know that they were you know when they split from the british empire and they had to make bag you know pakistan and bangladesh and stuff there was lots of people that were hurt so no one said that that was but it was a relatively bloodless revolution um yeah and so you know are they all equal my answer is no well, so um, the other thing is that you and I, I think, both agree on um, what makes a good life, and that is um, is purpose, is is one's uh, calling in life. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's the only um, way to value one's life. The, you know, a lot of um, a popular another popular um, value set is happiness. Just how happy are you? Uh, and even. Albert Einstein once wrote that a quiet and modest life brings more joy than a, a pursuit of success bound with constant unrest. So even Einstein, for all of his success, uh, acknowledged that, you know, just by having a quiet and modest life, you can achieve greater happiness. So, and can I jump in, James? I mean, that's a good point. I think happiness can come. So I think a good life can be well-being and lack of misery. But I think what I, we're trying to say, or what I'm trying to say, is that purpose is a way to get well-being mm. and that without it you might have i don't know per, you know happiness comes from sugar high i don't know getting drunk going on a holiday something um and that for me i did not realize this until i started thinking about this 25 that you could get purpose from work and my purpose is to help others and the amount mm. of well-being that comes out of that is stupendous and it was like this whole area of having enjoyment that yeah. i unlocked when i had a purpose and when i didn't have a purpose it was make more money, uh, I don't know, you know, go and talk, you know, crap with your friends. And not that those things aren't necessarily good, but there's this, all these other things that I didn't realise. So I think a purpose is a way to help unlock a whole lot of well-being. Yeah. Um, so my meta-observation is I think, uh, so purpose is all about how we can contribute to others and how we, uh, you know. I'm going to jump in, James. I don't think it has to be about how you contribute to others. Purpose sorry, could sorry, be sorry. about you, you know, looking after yourself and many things. So, you know, purpose, you know, your purpose in life is to find a purpose, I think. Um, but purpose does not have to be about helping others. Okay. Okay. So how then does one define purpose then? Is it basically just whatever you assign value to? 
Well, this is, I think, where we talked about it in the beginning. That there are many ways, um, and I don't know, there's a utilitarian perspective, which is maximizing well-being and minimizing misery in life. A hedonistic one would be just like maximizing your own well-being. So that the utilitarian one was looking at it in aggregate to other humans. Um, a hedonism one is just looking at it internally. If you're looking at relativism, they would say, which is relative, you know, the, the high for you it might be higher than somebody else, but it doesn't matter. It's all relative. You know, it is fun more, you know, enjoyable than actually self-improvement. And so, so there isn't an answer to this, I, I think. But I do think that, so, you know, the unexamined life is not worth living, Socrates. But actually asking these questions and starting to look into it is super fun, that it's a journey, not a destination. And yeah. you can help make better decisions slowly. So if, if, if purpose can basically be completely determined by an individual, is the antithesis to purpose just wafting through life without any clear uh, direction? Or like, what I'm trying to get at here is where, where, where is the falsification of purpose? Like, where is, what is the opposite of, well, what is not having a purpose if you can define anything as a purpose? Oh, no, so like, I think you can choose a purpose, but mm -hmm. not having a purpose is not choosing one. So there's can a difference. you choose I, not to have a purpose? Yeah, I think you can. So <laughs> most people are given or they take society's purpose. So you're born and you don't realize that you inherit the morality of the day and what's important. And I would say that in a Western society, it's kind of make as much money as possible, find a you know partner to marry and have kids. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you have a purpose. You're just following these goals. Uh, and people, you know, then get to it and they're like, I did all these things, but perhaps I feel empty. You know, I don't like my job. You know, uh, maybe I shouldn't have gotten married to this person. Maybe, you know, I had kids only because I kind of thought I'd have kids my entire life. I mean, not having active decisions. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of people inherit purpose, or if you want this, or inherit their life's, you know, goals. Right. Um, can I add to that? So the way I um, understood your previous premise was that is to me, the definition of someone not having a purpose, simply prescribing their life to a um, indoctrined way of living seems to me like someone who doesn't have a purpose or someone who did not stop and think about what it is that they want out of their life or what is their own personal purpose. It sounds like that if someone were, to, if, if a person were to simply uh, grow up in their culture and prescribe to the value set for them by that culture, that seems to be a, an, a, an unpurposeful life. Yeah. The way I understood the way how you were describing it is that by stopping and taking stock of what it is that you want out of life, that's how you get purpose. You can't have purpose disposed upon you. You can only have, you can only choose for yourself what purpose is. Would that be fair? Yeah. Um, that's kind of what I was saying. Um, you said that if anything can be a purpose, does everyone have purpose? And I said, no, because some people don't actively choose. They right. are passive in what it is. And yeah, so, that's yeah, the word. So, so, yeah, I think that's the case. But I think we've gone down a major rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. As we so, want to do. So one of the things I kind of wanted to say was, um, if you were sort of getting back to where we were before, if not all human lives are equal, because some have, I don't know, can add more well-being to the world, so the ability for them to help others and reduce misery is higher, does that mean, for instance, that, I don't know, whoever is the single most person that adds most value, you know, improvement to human life today? Elon Musk. <laughs> if that person was going to die, um, 
should they, for instance, get a priority in getting a heart transplant because they need it mm. over somebody else, or should it just be all equitable? Oh, and so, for James, who's worried what, are you, about going what are your thoughts on that? Um, do you think that, that, I don't know, if they aren't equal, which I think is kind of what we're saying, therefore, yeah. because they're going to help others more, should they have a priority? What, what are your thoughts right. there? So, so, uh, so we jumped out of the rabbit hole straight into a big can of worms. Uh, so this is the, the, the eternal struggle between consequentialism and deontology. Uh, so consequentialism being Elon Musk is the most, arguably, the most consequential human being on Earth. What he's working on right now in terms of uh, sustainable energy, interplanetary species or exploration um, and a whole raft of other things, um, you could, it could be well argued that he's the most consequential person in the world. Um, however, you could be faced with a dilemma where you have a child on a operating table who is sick but he's not going to die. And then in the other room, you have Elon Musk, who is going to die. You could take, let's say, the heart out of the child and put it in Elon Musk and potentially save the entire human race because an asteroid might be coming to Earth and we don't even know about it. And because of Elon Musk, we can become interplanetary. Do you then uh, justify yourself by killing the child or even electing not to save the child in order to save Elon Musk? So... For me, no, you can't do that. Uh, and to try and just put it in a very quick uh, soundbite, it's basically um, a point of escalation and a very, very slippery slope. If you can do that for Elon Musk, then where is the line drawn between choosing between two actions simply because one had the greater outcome than the other? So, I mean, basically, you have to draw a line somewhere. <laughs> you yeah, know, you don't have no, we can't have lines ever. Uh, you know, the existing line is like, I don't know, if there's a ship and there's only life rafts, women and children first. But what if one of the men is Elon Musk? If it is true that he is the most consequential person, should mm. he not go before them? Yeah. And if, you know, I think there's a level of like, well, should you kill someone to take the heart for Elon? You know, and maybe <laughs> Jam say no, but what about heart transplant? Someone's yes. died and, you know, Elon, should he jump to the front of the queue because he's the most consequential or should it be first in best rest? Mm. And, and mm. I oh. honestly think that it's very, very hard. There's no sort of, I think, clear thing here. But net-net, if human lives aren't equal, and I, I do think that that, you know, is true, uh, to say everyone is exactly the same to me doesn't ring true, yeah. that then if he was the most consequential on that list, I think there's an argument to be put forward for having him, you know, get it first, basically. Yeah. So, first of all, this is rampant in the world today as it is. I mean, anybody who has the resources has a whole um, raft of medical uh, facilities available to them that is not available to the vast majority of people on Earth. So, we already prioritise or give preferential treatment to, um, to people who have resources. So, but to answer your question specifically, if there was a queue and... Um, they all needed a heart transplant. Do I think Elon Musk should go to the front of the queue? Personally, I say yes. Um, and whether that's... Uh, okay, hang on, I'm going to jump in. Why is that different from taking the heart from a kid who is still alive? Yeah. Okay, so it's about inaction versus action. You are taking the action of killing that child in order to save Elon Musk. Get it, that James. No need to explain more. So what I would say is why then do you think it's a justifiable 
to, I don't know, kill a terrorist. So, you know, because it's action versus inaction. So that terrorist mm. might be going to go and kill, God knows, 100 people. Yeah. And people would say it's okay to kill that terrorist because you're saving 100 lives, but it's action. So would you agree that you should be able to kill the terrorist to do yeah. that? Or, but you shouldn't be able to do that to, to, save, you know, to, to save Elon, who then stops climate change, as an example, and saves a billion people. Yeah, so it's not about maximizing gains, you're minimizing losses. So if you are trying to prevent a bigger catastrophe from happening, that is different from trying to maximize the potential outcome of something happening. So by saving Elon Musk, um, you are trying to maximize the potential outcome, um, not by way of his direct uh, influence. Whereas a terrorist, their threat to the 100 people or so that they are um, intending to kill is... Um, minimizing bad outcomes and so one way of looking at this is that the lives of those 100 people are already in the balance and so you have to choose you know is it morally reinforceable to kill one person who is on their way to kill 100 others as opposed to to kill one person which could potentially save 100 others okay cool um Looking at it slightly differently, I know we said this before that like human lives have the potential of being more important or more valuable than say, I think we used a sheep before, um, because they can have more purpose and more well-being and other things. But for instance, so a lot of people have pets, like cats and dogs as an example. And mm. I know that very babies, they would, um, you know, say some people might say, well, my dog gives me a lot of well-being, a lot of happiness. <laughs> And that, for instance, they might value the life of their dog over the life, or they might say that that dog is more valuable to me than their friend or some of their friends are. And so is it possible that in your mind, you've got a dog, James, um, and you've got two, you know, young children. Um, do you think that, I don't know, it is, you know, do you basically have a reverse argument that human lives are more valuable than, I don't know, a dog. But if you value that dog more than you value certain other human lives, is that meaning that dog's life is more valuable to you, basically? Yeah. So you, I, I think you can only, like, to me, you can only answer this question with, um, in relative terms. So relative to that person in question, um, only they can answer whether that their pet or that dog is more, worth more to them than a, another person is. I don't think you can make a, a generalization or a principle that applies to. Um, you know, life in general, that, you know, if certain pet A is, um, you know, of a particular quality, then this life is worth more than person B. You, you can only answer that from the individual's perspective. So for that person who has a companion pet or who, whose dog is their life, to them is, you know, their partner, or not partner, but their, um, you know, is the one that they prescribe the most value out of having a relationship with, then yes, other people, that, that, pet, that pet is, is more valuable to them than other people. That doesn't make their life more valuable. It makes their life more valuable to them. Mm, interesting. Another conundrum for you. Um, you know, would you go to war, you know, for your country? I think, you know, people did that in the past. Mm. And in effect, you know, be willing to give your life um, for your country. So is that a very open-ended question without any real context? I'll give you my answer. Like, if the, if the premise was right, yes. 
if it was an unjust war, then the answer is no. And if it was a just war, then yes. So like, I don't know, we live in Australia and if Australia was invaded by some people for unjust reasons and they were doing unjust things, then I would be comfortable to defend this. You know, it has to be right. So in effect, I'd be willing to give my life, right? Mm -hmm. So however, if Elon Musk, you know, was going to die, would you be comfortable to give your heart to save him? And, mm. and, and why wouldn't you? So, so you, you're willing to die for, I don't know, your family or other people, mm. your, your country, you know, fellow countrymen, but you wouldn't be willing to die for someone who, again, like, you know, is, could have, save a billion people through whatever else it is. Yeah. So um, the answer, um, I think, for me to be able to answer this goes back again to where you, the person, prescribe value. So for me, would I go to war? the only way I could see myself willingly signing up to go to war would be to protect my family. And maybe, um, you know, my, those who, I, who are valuable to me. Giving my heart to Elon, I cannot equate to protecting my family, which is more valuable to me mm. than giving Elon my heart. So to try and answer that question, every single individual has a value set that they prescribe to. And whether it is within harmony of that value set that you can justify doing something like going to war or giving up your heart or even just your kidney to save another human life. Some people's value sets are their country. They're patriotic. They believe that they need to fight for their country to, you know, to, to say that they are a citizen of that country. Other people will believe that their greatest purpose in life is in service of their children, their partner, and that without them being there, it um, will make their lives not um, you know, unlivable, but significantly more difficult and worse off without you having been there. So am I trying to say that I'm unpatriotic? No, I'm trying to say that everyone has a value set and it's what values they prescribe to that it has to be in harmony with whatever action you're going to make. All right. Cool. Would I think, you give your heart to Elon, Duncan? I mean, it's, it's really hard. I think you're growing up, and this is, you know, Peter Singer and the circle of care, like how wide do you have the circle of care? Um, and even though, if you look at it from a purely utilitarian standpoint, you should, I think. Mm -hmm. And removing downside and adding upside why, why is one different to the other? It's just the maximum amount of well-being. So there should be no difference. It's just a quantum. Mm. Um, you know, I think that you might, you know, so, so the answer you just sort of feel is like, no. But then when you think about it intellectually, you're like, well, is that just selfish? Like, you know, why the hell, you know, wouldn't you do this if this was the most consequential person? People are willing to go to war to die for their country, right? But they're not willing to help the single most important person. It seems like a contradiction in arms. Um, and so for me, I don't think I've thought about this enough. I've, I've never had to be faced with this. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I think we've gotten sort of sidetracked um, a bit because... Rick after Duncan, yes or no, would you give him your heart? No. There we go. <laughs> um, but, you know, getting back to where it was, like, you know, I think if you have a purpose in your life and we should sort of talk about this a little bit more, you c it is a path to living a better life. So mm. work with a purpose is better than work without a purpose. And relaxing with a purpose, even though it's just hedonism, it, it, I think is better than without it. 
you've got to, you know, get it right. Um, and I suppose this depends on the purpose is. If your purpose is to cause misery to others, then not. Um, and, and the key learning for me is that I didn't think about this at all. But now, how do I try to guide my decisions is thinking about the, what purpose is, sits behind them. So I kind of call this meaning. You want to kind of maximize the amount of meaning in your life. And then you've got so much more nutrition. And it's, so, it's not just some, you know, boredom in, punctuated by sugar highs. It's really feeling good and, you know, welling with, you know, well-being. And so mm. I think that you should look for this. Um, and so maybe it's best to go through. James, do you want to talk about what you sort of, how do you define what your purpose is in life? Right. So uh, I just had an interesting observation there about how, so purpose is only given to us by us. We can only give ourselves purpose. It's not bestowed upon you. It is something that we derive ourselves. Um, Some people would disagree. Like, okay. I don't know, Aristotle, as an example, talked about essentialism, which is where there's an essence to everything. And the essence is, gives it its purpose. Mm. And existentialism is where there is no purpose and you can bestow it upon yourself. So some people would say, like, I don't know, you're born and you're in a religion and the religion tells you the moral, you know, code and, and purpose. And you're part, you know, whatever else it is. So... I the way I understood it right. is existentialism is um, basically the fact that you exist, therefore you matter. No, no. Existentialism means that there's no point to existence is my understanding of it. Isn't that nihilism? No, but, but you can create a purpose. You're not given one at birth, but you can give yourself one. Whereas essentialism is where you are given one. So you don't get to choose it. It's a difference. That a tree is given its purpose. It doesn't get to choose. Yeah. I would uh, argue that some humans uh, are given uh, they, and they follow it. Like, you know, they're born into, you know, whatever, you know, and they inherit it from society or they inherit it from the religion and they don't necessarily actively choose it. Um, and, you know, they're sort of thinking, oh, well, this will make me happy if I find a great partner. They're not necessarily choosing that to be their purpose, but they're spending all, you know, a lot of their time trying to do that. Um, so, yeah, I think we're getting off again. Like, you know, what? how would you define... So have you chosen one for yourself? How would you define what it is and, and how, what was the evolution of it and how you got to what it is? So how would I define what I value or how would I define what my purpose is? Either or. Uh, but like, you know, let's kind of keep it succinct. <laughs> you know, do yeah. you have a purpose? What is it? And uh, how did you get to it? Uh, so um, at, at this point, particular stage in my life, my purpose is very, very clear to me. And my purpose is to um, raise my children so that they can have the best possible life. Um, everything flows around that and that doesn't mean everything falls to the wayside. I think everything feeds into that. So, uh, so for me personally, I, I believe that for me, all I want to achieve out of life is to, um, well, sorry, that's not fair. Not all I want to achieve. The main thing I want to achieve in life <laughs> is to give um, my children the best opportunities for them to be able to grow and develop and to discover and to become, uh, you know, the truest version of themselves so that they can then, um, you know, discover what purpose they want to decide for themselves and go out and live that for their life. So that's how I define my purpose. My purpose is to give my children the best life possible. So What was your work, purpose before you had children? And why did you choose to have children? So my purpose... Well, we'll go on the journey. Like, you know, like, so can we start? Like, I think it's much better to take journey and just do it really quick. Um, 
James was born, you know, let's see if we can do this in a minute. Hold on a second. What was the... Uh, what was the, the journey of your life and finding out how you got to where you are now. You kind right, of so gave I was born and then I was on a journey of self-discovery for the first 21 years of my life. But, but, but were you? Because I, I would argue that I didn't really discover much. I, you know, went to school and I hung out yeah, with yeah. friends and a, jo a job. But like, I, I really, at, at the end of that, my purpose, I didn't have one. Yeah. Um, no, that's, yeah. Um, if I may finish what I was saying. Yeah. My first 21 years of self-discovery doesn't mean that I was, perp I was consciously on a journey of self-discovery. I was saying that all played into my uh, leading up to discovering myself. Um, mm -hmm. So education, learning, um, developing uh, awareness, all of that was instrumental, I should say, to figuring out who I was. Um, between the ages of, let's say, 21 and uh, 30, I would say my purpose was my devotion to my relationship with my now wife and us building a life together. Uh, I got immense uh, happiness and satisfaction and joy out of cultivating a, um, a, I guess, a loving relationship. And that was to me the bedmark, uh, the bedrock of um, creating a family as well. So for me, for four children, my purpose was my relationship. Okay. Um, so f for me, um, I didn't really know. <laughs> I didn't have one for, for the first mm. while. And the first time that it sort of started to take shape was when I was like thinking about, you know, taking a job that was going to, you know, all path for less money. Um, and then I was like, well, is money important? And I sort of came to the view that no money will make you sad, but lots of money might make you happy. Well, if you're not optimizing for money, what are you optimizing for? And then I was optimizing for happiness. Um, and I thought, where does happiness come from? And then I started to think, is it just enjoyment at work? Uh, you know, I, I like, like this, it's challenging. Um, or is it that the work helps others and that the work that helps others makes it meaningful and then I enjoy it? And that's kind of sort of where I sort of ended up from a work perspective, which was I wanted to help others and to maximize the amount of help to others. And that mm -hmm. then I would enjoy it. Um, and then the sort of final evolution was, hang on, but there's a feedback loop. If you're doing stuff which you don't actually enjoy, but it's helping others, you won't do as well, a, as good a job at that than mm. you would if you enjoyed the work. Mm. So, so I used to worry that it, focusing at all on enjoyment at work could mean yeah. that I actually didn't do what was right to helping others the most. Yeah. But I realize now that if I enjoy it, it'll actually maximize more. So there's a balance between helping others and enjoying it that gives yeah. you the optimal outcome. And the final evolution beyond that was like, well, any time that I'm not doing that is not good. And therefore, yeah. I'm not going to be happy. So anytime not working was a waste. And therefore, I was unhappy. And I didn't, I basically got to the point where I worked every minute I was awake. And <laughs> then I became unhappy. <laughs> um, and I realized that, you know, life is doing the right things and doing things right. And I might have been doing them wrong. Yeah. Um, and that there is a value to doing nothing. There is a value to rest. Yeah. There is a value to relaxation. And it, it took me a while to ascribe purpose to that. And the purpose was so that I could be in a good mindset, so that I could be relaxed, so that I should enjoy, and that by actually working less hours, I would get more done in those work hours if my underlying you know, operating system, my underlying you know, emotional levels and everything were in a much better place. Mm. And so mm. that's kind of the evolution for me. Yeah. I, I, think, um, so I think that's a very, very good um, reflection on how you've grown and how you've 
your purpose has evolved. And to me, that's the key thing. So um, from what I've found, a lot of people can be quite intimidated by the question, what is your purpose? Because unless it's an enlightened one, you, you feel kind of embarrassed to share. Um, simply by way of the fact that it comes across as selfish or self-indulgent or hedonistic. But I don't, I, I think, and um, I think in this discussion, Duncan, you've helped at least articulate for me that um, that is not the purpose of having a purpose. Uh, 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 that is not what a purpose is. A purpose is what is important in life for you. And so I think it helps that for anyone to simply look at their life right now and figure out what is important to you. And that can help guide you to finding a purpose. You shouldn't, I don't think, have to feel pressure in finding an enlightened purpose where you are being of you know, servitude to someone else or delivering value to someone else. The key here is you have a starting point. Uh, and then you can allow it to evolve over time. Just like how I said life goes in stages, or I believe it does, I believe that your purpose can evolve into stages as well. I believe for myself, um, very early on in life, my purpose was, um, whether conscious or not, was to just be happy. Like, I just wanted to be happy. I wanted to be accepted by my friends and family. I wanted to um, do things that were enjoyable. I wanted to have as much fun as possible. Um, then my purpose was to just discover who I was, um, realize that there were things that I did simply by way of wanting to please others. And I, and I started to question myself, why, did I, why would I do that if that's not what I really want for myself? And then, um, as I've just covered before, my purpose was my servitude to my wife and now my children. And that's what gives me the greatest, uh, I guess, satisfaction. Um, so the last point being, uh, and we kind of touched on this at the beginning as so well. You're, so you're optimizing for satisfaction. Hey? You're optimizing for satisfaction in, in well, effect. Well, I'm just using the word satisfaction in terms of betterment of my own life. Yeah. Um, but, but like, because that, you could argue that you're, you know, from a utilitarian perspective, you, and James is a wonderful father and a wonderful husband. Thank you, thank you. You spend a lot of time with those, you know, family. But I, I think one could reasonably argue that you could spend that time elsewhere and help others yes, perhaps absolutely. more. absolutely. But, but so, so, so net, net. So this is like, I don't think, you know, a, a place for everything and everything in its place. There is, there is a right answer. Um, and again, if, even if I could really properly understand what it is for 33-year-old Duncan, I've been evolving and, you know, her views are evolving. It might will be the 40-year-old Duncan. I believe, and I think, I think, Duncan, you did kind of contradict yourself there because you can't have a right answer and also allow people to evolve and grow and learn and adapt over time um, because that's too much purpose. You can't have a right answer if the right answer is to, you know, have introspectiveness and to be able to reflect and change. Um, I think that is the approach one can have and the ability to reflect and change is part of growth um, and I'm sorry to jump in on you there but I just wanted to make my last point which is um, we touched on just briefly uh, the uh, you know the notion of happiness as being a um, purpose to life um, and we also have touched on in the past that happiness equals progress so you can start anywhere in terms of okay. I, I don't remember call this happiness equals progress, but keep going. I'm not sure. Can you explain that? I, I'm really... Okay, yeah, so, um, so this was actually a phrase popularized by um, Tony Robbins. And basically, 
what he's referring to is that as long as you can see yourself evolving throughout your life, as long as you can um, reflect on how you are getting better, not achieving perfection, but just getting better than the person you were yesterday, then that will feed into your happiness. So the point here is that do not put the pressure, well, I don't think one can put pressure on themselves to try and find X to be happy or find Y as a purpose. I think if you can start off with what your innermost true self believes is of value to you and start there and then progress over time, whatever you learn, whatever you take on can then feed into what you prescribe value to and then your purpose can evolve and learn over time as well. Okay. Um, so it depends on how you define happiness in effect. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we should get to recap stage because we've gone on too long. We wanted to talk about other things um, and we're sort of going to get out of this. Um, so, so, so the only question is sort of really like, you know, does life matter? And I think life can matter um, and, and humanity can matter, as we've said, um, and it can matter more than, say, a sheep because the ability for us to have you know, a purpose is stronger. The ability for us to have well-being and misery is probably stronger because of the sentience. And that what we've sort of said is that our evolutions as people over time have been learning more about ourselves and understanding more about, I think, more for me, more confidence. Like some things are basically becoming you know, gradually more aware mm -hmm. <laughs> and awake. And that this journey has been a really fruitful and rewarding mm -hmm. one and one that I hope will continue. Um, as I learn more about myself and the world and, and therefore more about how I would like to spend my time. Yeah. So I think life can matter, um, but doesn't necessarily mean it does for everyone. Um, and that having a purpose is one key part or thinking about what your purpose yeah. is to figuring out how to live a better life. Doesn't mean it's a guarantee, but it's certainly been a lot of fun for me. Yeah. So um, I, going back to the, the premise of this article, um, you know, things in life can always seem uh, overwhelming or significant at that moment in time. But when you look uh, back and realize that you are just one of seven plus billion people on a pale blue dot suspended in space in the vastness of this universe, you, you, you suddenly gain um, some perspective. And with that perspective, I believe, can come first humility, but second, the realization that it is then up to you to decide what it is you want out of life. Um, you should not feel uh, the, the pressure to have to um, prescribe to any kind of dogma or cultural norms or um, societal expectations. Um, you can decide what it is that you want out of life. And that can be whether it's your purpose or your calling, um, but it only comes from your own introspectiveness. It only comes from your ability to stop, be honest with yourself and decide this is what I want out of life and that's all you need to have a purpose. I think that's a good summary. Um, <laughs> I feel a bit silly about this, but like, I don't think it only comes from your introspectiveness. Um, I, I think that you can, I don't know, have a, whatever it is, a guru um, and, and you can learn a lot from them. And this is steps forward. So, you know, for me, starting to read philosophy, um, you know, significantly opened my eyes. And, and it was specifically not from introspectiveness that I sort of started on this journey. It was from looking at others. Well, yeah, um, but um, like, so to, take to me, you I'm know, not it, it came that you don't learn from others. Like, 
your yeah. suggestion basically um, posits that I don't listen to anyone or have learned from anything or have No, 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 no. I just think that there's many places the stimulus. Oh, maybe I misunderstood. Well, the, the whole point is that you take you were saying information yeah. from others all the time and gurus and mentors, mm. very important to have mentors, by the way, <laughs> um, are all part of what feeds into your mind and your ability mm. to synthesize that to decide what's important for you. So you can definitely have people guide you. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. Um, at the end of the day, it's you, Duncan, who decide this is what I'm going to, this is what I want out of life, I guess I should say. Always, I agree with that. Always get help um, along the way. I, yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, I think is it, you know, it only comes from introspection. I thought it's what you said, yeah. purpose, but I think you can get ideas for purpose from, from lots of places. What you want to do, you know, um, you know, you can decide. I'm sure you can follow blindly out as elsewhere. <laughs> and, and, you know, that could probably lead to happiness as well. Um, I mean, if you're a monk, you might be choosing to take their, you know, doctrine and you might live a very good life. Our, our, um, our favourite soundbite, the old monk in the, uh, in the distant mountains. Hmm. Cool. And on that bombshell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, I've really enjoyed this, Duncan. I think, um, I think we stretch each other in a lot of ways. So um, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Hmm.